This is the House of Soul podcast. I am your host, Aurelia Soul. House of Soul, home for mystics, is a safe and sacred container that houses my most pristine wilds and some of the more arid and rugged aspects of terrain forged in fire over time. This is also a space created to assist in healing nurturing, and nourishing. This is a home to rewild the mystics and seekers alike, a village of diverse backgrounds that have come together to lift one another up, to learn, to thrive, and to bloom. No matter what we may encounter, we can rise from anything, just as we have risen from the ashes of lives and deaths before, we will persevere. Blessed is the house of soul, home for mystics. We have come to set the standard, not to meet it. So it is. beloved, pull up a seat, warm yourself by the fire, slip off your shoes, stay a while. There's stories that beckon to be told, and I shall unfold them, much like the path before you. Let's begin, shall we? Good morning, good afternoon. Good evening, wherever in the world you are. On today's episode, I would like to read you a story written by Frederick Backman. And if any of you do not know who Frederick Backman is, he is an author, a blogger, a columnist. Um, You may have heard of his work. as he wrote a novel called A Man Named Ove in 2012. He's written other works um, like Things My Son Needs to Know About the World, My Grandmother Asked Me to Tell You She's Sorry, um, Brit Marie Was Here in 2014, Bear Town in 2017, Us Against You in 2018, and Anxious People in 2020. Uh, He's a Swedish writer, uh, and he's obviously been very, very busy. Um, Excuse me, very interesting man. Um, He writes in the fiction, realistic fiction, satire, humor genre, um, and has been published since 2012, from what it looks like. The little bit of information that I have up here. about him. And um, this book, this little um, novella that he wrote um, that I want to read to you today, it's called And Every Morning the Way Home Gets Longer and Longer. It's a novella. And um, I mean, 
it looks really, really interesting. And so I thought that maybe you could sit with me for a little while and just close your eyes and enjoy being read to. When's the last time that someone read you a story, right? You could just sit back and relax and enjoy yourself. So that's what we're going to do here today. And I'm really looking forward to it. Just trying a little bit of something new. And um, if you all like it, please do feel free to send in a message or uh, an audio recording. There is a link um, for you to do so. Um, Please feel free to give me feedback because every bit of feedback helps me to kind of tailor this channel um, and my content toward what serves your highest good. And um, so every bit helps. And uh, let's dive into this, shall we? for the cause, ads, sponsorships, brand deals, and listener support really aid this channel in continuing to create content. So in just a moment, after this message, uh, an ad will play. It's not long at all. And if you would, just bear with me through that, and we will get right back into the show. Thank you so much for your continued support. Part two of And Every Morning the Way Home Gets Longer and Longer, written by Frederick Backman. Why are you holding my hand so tight, Grandpa? Sorry, Noah Noah. Sorry. The ground around the fountain in the square is covered in hard stone slabs. Someone has scrawled advanced mathematical calculations all over them, in white chalk. But blurry people are rushing this way and that across them, and the soles of their shoes rub away the numbers one by one until only random lines remain, carved deeply into the stones. Fossil equations. The dragon sneezes in its sleep. Its nostrils send a million scraps of paper covered in handwritten messages flying across the square. A hundred elves from a book of fairy tales Grandma used to read to Noah dance around them in the fountain, trying to catch them. What's on those pieces of paper? the boy asks. Those are all my ideas, Grandpa replies. They're blowing away. They've been doing that for a long time. The boy nods and wraps his fingers tightly around Grandpa's. Is your brain ill? Who told you that? Dad. Grandpa exhales through his nose. He nods. We don't know, really. We know so little about how the brain works. 
it's like a fading star right now. Do you remember what I taught you about that? When a star fades, it takes a long time for us to realize as long as it takes for the last of its light to reach the earth. Grandpa's chin trembles. He often reminds Noah that the universe is over 13 billion years old. Grandma always used to mutter, and you're still in such a hurry to look at it that you never have the time to do the dishes. Those who hasten to live are in a hurry to miss, she sometimes used to whisper to Noah, though he didn't know what she meant before she was buried. Grandpa clasps his hands to stop them from shaking. When a brain fades, it takes a long time for the body to realize. The human body has a tremendous work ethic. It's a mathematical masterpiece. It'll keep working until the very last light. Our brains are the most boundless equation. And once humanity solves it, that'll be more powerful than when we went to the moon. There's no greater mystery in the universe than a human. Do you remember what I told you about failing? The only time you failed is if you don't try more once more. Exactly, Noah Noah. Exactly. A great thought can never be kept on earth. Noah closes his eyes stops the tears in their tracks and forces them to cower beneath his eyelids. Snow starts to fall in the square, the same way very small children cry, like it had barely started at first, but soon, like it would never end. Heavy, white flakes cover all of Grandpa's ideas. Tell me about school, Noah Noah, the old man says. He always wants to know everything about school, but not like other adults who only want to know if Noah is behaving. Grandpa wants to know if the school is behaving. It hardly ever is. Our teacher made us write a story about what we want to be when we're big. Noah tells him, What did you write? I wrote that I wanted to concentrate on being little first. That's a very good answer. Isn't it? I would rather be old than a grown-up. All grown-ups are angry. It's just children and old people who laugh. Did you write that? Yes. What did your teacher say? She said I hadn't understood the task. And what did you say? I said she hadn't understood my answer. I love you, Grandpa manages to say with closed eyes. You're bleeding again, Noah says with his hand on Grandpa's forearm. Grandpa wipes his forehead with a faded handkerchief. He's searching for something in his pockets. Then he looks at the boy's shoes the way they swing a few inches above the tarmac with unruly shadows beneath them. When your feet touch the ground, I'll be in space, my dear Noah Noah. 
the boy concentrates on breathing and time with Grandpa. That's another of their games. Are we here to learn how to say goodbye, Grandpa? He eventually asks. The old man scratches his chin, thinks for a long time. Yes, Noah Noah, I'm afraid we are. I think goodbyes are hard, the boy admits. Grandpa nods and strokes his cheek softly, though his fingertips are as rough as dry suede. You get that from your grandma. Noah remembers when his dad picked him up from grandma and grandpa's in the evenings. He wasn't even allowed to say those words to her. Don't say it, Noah. Don't you dare say it to me. I get old when you leave me. Every wrinkle on my face is a goodbye from you, she used to complain. And so he sang to her instead, and that made her laugh. She taught him to read and bake saffron buns and pour coffee without the pot dribbling. And when her hands started to shake, the boy taught himself to pour half cups so she wouldn't spill any, because she was always ashamed when she did, and they never let her feel ashamed in front of him. The amount I love you, Noah, she would tell them with her lips to his ear after she read fairy tales about elves, and he was just about to fall asleep. The sky will never be that big. She wasn't perfect, but she was his. The boy sang to her the night before she died. Her body stopped working before her brain did. For Grandpa, it's the opposite. I'm bad at goodbyes, says the boy. Grandpa's lips reveal all his teeth when he smiles. We'll have plenty of chances to practice. You'll be good at it. Almost all grown adults walk around full of regret over a goodbye they wish they'd been able to go back and say better. Our goodbye doesn't have to be like that. You'll be able to keep redoing it until it's perfect. And once it's perfect, that's when your feet will touch the ground. And I'll be in space. And there won't be anything to be afraid of. Noah holds the old man's hand, the man who taught him to fish and to never be afraid of big thoughts, and to look at the night sky and understand it's made of numbers. Mathematics has blessed the boy in that sense, because he's no longer afraid of the thing almost everyone else is terrified of, infinity. Noah loves space because it never ends, it never dies, it's the one thing in his life which won't ever leave him. He swings his legs, studies the glittering metal between the flowers. There are numbers on all the keys, Grandpa. Grandpa leans forward over the edge and calmly looks at them. Yes, indeed there are. Why? I can't remember. He suddenly sounds so afraid. His body is heavy, his voice is weak and his skin is a sail about to be abandoned by the wind. Why are you holding my hand so tight, Grandpa? The boy whispers again. Because all of this is disappearing, Noah Noah, and I want to keep hold of you 
longest of all. The boy nods, holds the grandpa's hand tighter in return. He holds the girl's hand tighter and tighter and tighter until she tenderly loosens one finger after another and kisses him on the neck. You're squeezing me like I was a rope. I don't want to lose you again. I couldn't go on. She walks lightheartedly along the road next to him. I'm here. I've always been here. Tell me more about Noah. Tell me everything. His face softens bit by bit until he's grinning and replies. He's so tall now. His feet are going to reach all the way to the ground soon. You have to put more stones under the anchor then, she says with a laugh. His lungs force him to stop and lean against a tree. Their names are carved into the bark, but he doesn't remember why. My memories are running away from me, my love. Like when you try to separate oil and water. Constantly reading a book with a missing page, and it's always the most important one. I know. I know you're afraid, she answers, and brushes her lips against his cheek. Where is this road taking us? Home, she replies. Where are we? We're back where we met. The dance hall where you stepped on my toes is over there. The cafe where I accidentally trapped your hand in the door. Your little finger is still crooked. He used to say that I probably only married you because I felt bad about that. I didn't care why you said yes. Just that you stayed. There's the church where you became mine. There's the house that became ours. He closes his eyes and lets his nose lead the way. Your hyacinths, they've never smelled so strong. For more than half a century they belonged to one another. She detested the same characteristics in him that last day as she had the first time she saw him under that tree and still adored all the others. When you looked straight at me, when I was 70, I felt just as hard as I did when I was 16, she smiles. Her tips, her fingertips touched the skin above her collarbone. You never became ordinary to me, my love. You were electric shocks and fire. Her teeth tickle his earlobe when she replies. No one could ask for more. No one had ever fought with him like she had. Their very first fight had been about the universe. He explained how it had been created and she refused to accept it. He raised his voice. She got angry. He couldn't understand why. And she shouted, I'm angry because you think everything happened by chance, but there are billions of people on this planet and I found you. So if you're saying I could just as well have found someone else, then I can't bear your bloody mathematics. Her fists had been clenched. He stood there looking at her for several minutes. Then he said that he loved her. It was the first time. They never stopped arguing, and they never slept apart. 
He spent an entire working life calculating probabilities that she was the most improbable person he ever met. She turned him upside down. When they moved into their first house, he spent the dark months growing a garden so beautiful that it knocked the air out of her when the light finally came. He did it with a determination only science can mobilize in a grown man because he wanted to show that mathematics could be beautiful. He measured the angles of the sun, drew diagrams of where the trees cast their shade, kept statistics for day-to-day temperatures, and optimized the choice of plants. I wanted you to know, he said, as she stood barefoot in the grass that June and cried. Know what? she asked. That equations are magic. And that All formulas are spells, he said. Now they're old and on a road, her words against the fabric of his shirt. And then, you went about growing coriander in secret every year just to mess with me. He throws out his arms in a gesture of innocence. I don't know what you're talking about. I forget things, you know. I'm an old man. Are you saying you don't like coriander? You've always known. I hate it. It must have been Noah. There's no trusting that boy. (laughs) He laughs. She stands on her tiptoes, with both hands clutching his shirt, and fixes her eyes on him. You are never easy, darling. Difficult. Sulky you. Never diplomatic. You might even have been easy to dislike at times. But no one, absolutely no one, would dare tell me you were hard to love. Next to the garden, which smelled of hyacinths and sometimes coriander, there was an old field. And there, right on the other side of the hedge, was a broken old fishing boat dragged up onto land by a neighbor many years earlier. Grandpa always said that he couldn't get any peace and quiet when he worked in the house. And Grandma always replied that she couldn't get any peace and quiet in the house when Grandpa was working there. So one morning, Grandma went out into the garden and around the hedge and started to decorate the boat's cabin as an office. Grandpa sat there for years after that, surrounded by numbers and calculations and equations. And it was the only place on earth where everything was logical to him. Mathematicians need a place like that. Maybe everyone else does, too. There was a huge anchor leaning against one side of the boat. When Ted was very small, the boy would occasionally ask his dad how long it would be before he was taller than it. The dad has tried to remember when it happened. He's tried so hard that the square in his head was quaked. He learned his lesson. He was a different man when Noah was born, became someone else as Grandpa, than he had been as a father. That's not unique to mathematicians. When Noah asked the same question Ted once had, Grandpa replied, you'll have to hope it never happens, because only people who are shorter than the anchor get to play in my office whenever they want. And when Noah's head began to approach the top of the anchor, 
Grandpa placed stones beneath it so he would never lose the privilege of being disturbed. Noah has gotten so smart, my love. He always has been. Just took you a while to catch up, she snorts. His voice catches in his throat. My brain is shrinking now. The square gets smaller every night. She strokes his temples. Do you remember what you said when we first fell in love? That sleeping was torment? Yes, because we couldn't share our sleep. Every morning when I blinked awake, seconds before I knew where I was were unbearable, until I knew where you were. She kisses him. I know that the way home is getting longer and longer every morning, but I loved you because your brain, your world, was always bigger than everyone else's. There's still a lot of it left. I miss you unbearably. She smiles, her tears on his face. Darling, stubborn you. I know you never believed in life after death, but you should know that I'm dearly, dearly, dearly hoping that you're wrong. The road behind her is blurry, the horizon bearing rain. He holds her hand as hard as he can, sighs deeply. Lord, how you'll argue with me then if we meet in heaven. A rake has been left propped up against a wall. Lying next to it are three plant markers flecked with damp earth. On the ground, there's a bag with a pair of glasses sticking out of one of its pockets. A microscope has been forgotten on a footstool, and there's a white coat hanging from a hook, a pair of red shoes visible beneath. Grandpa proposed to her here by the fountain, and Grandma's things are still everywhere. The boy carefully touches the lump on Grandpa's forehead. Does it hurt? he asks. No, not really, Grandpa replies. I mean, on the inside. Does it hurt on the inside? It hurts less and less. It's one good thing about forgetting things. Forget the things that hurt, too. What does it feel like? Like constantly searching for something in your pockets? First you lose the small things, then it's the big ones. It starts with keys, and it ends with people. Are you scared? A bit. Are you? A bit, the boy admits. Grandpa grins. That'll keep the bears away. Noah's cheek is resting against the old man's collarbone. When you've forgotten a person, do you forget you've forgotten? No. Sometimes I remember that I've forgotten. That's the worst kind of forgetting. Like being locked out in a storm. When I try to force myself to remember harder, so hard the whole square here shakes. Is that why you get so tired? Yes. Sometimes it feels like having fallen asleep on a sofa while it's still light and then suddenly being woken up once it's dark. 
takes me a few seconds to remember where I am. I'm in space for a few moments, having to blink and rub my eyes and let my brain take a couple of extra steps to remember who I am and where I am to get home. That's the road that's getting longer and longer every morning. The way home from space. I'm sailing on a big, calm lake, Noah Noah. Horrible, says the boy. Yes, very, very, very horrible. For some reason, places and directions seem to be the first thing to disappear. First you forget where you're going, then where you've been, and eventually where you are, or maybe it was the other way around. My doctor said something, I went to my doctor and he said something about, or did I say something? I said, doctor, I, he wraps his temples harder and harder. The square moves. It doesn't matter, the boy whispers. Sorry, Noah, Noah. The boy strokes his arm and shrugs. Don't worry, I'm gonna give you a balloon, grandpa, so you can have it in space. A balloon won't stop me from disappearing, Noah, Noah. Grandpa sighs. I know but you'll get it on your birthday as a present. That sounds unnecessary. Grandpa smiles. The boy nods. If you keep hold of it, you'll know that right before you went into space, someone gave you a balloon. And it's the most unnecessary present anyone can get because there's absolutely no need for a balloon in space. And that'll make you laugh. Grandpa closes his eyes, breathes in the boy's hair. That's the best best present I've never been given. (laughs) The lake glitters. Their feet move from side to side. Trouser legs fluttering in the wind. It smells like water and sunshine on the bench. Not everyone knows that water and sunshine have scents, but they do. You just have to get far enough away from all the other smells to realize it. You have to be sitting still in a boat, relaxing so much that you have time to lie on your back and think. Lakes and thoughts have that in common. They take time. Grandpa leans toward Noah and breathes out like people do at the start of a long sleep. One of them is getting bigger, and one of them is getting smaller. The years allow them to meet in the middle. The boy points to a road on the other side of the square, blocked off by a barrier and a big warning sign. What's happened there, Grandpa? Grandpa blinks several times with his head against the boy's collarbone. Oh, that road. I think it's... it's closed. It washed away in the rain when your grandma died. It's too dangerous to think about now, Noah Noah. Where did it go? was a shortcut. It didn't take long at all to get home in the mornings when I took that road. I just woke up and there I was. Grandpa mumbles and wraps his forehead. The boy wants to ask more, but Grandpa manages to stop him. Tell me more about school, Noah Noah. Noah shrugs. We don't count enough and we write too much. That's always the way. I never learn the schools, and I don't like the music lessons. 
Dad's trying to teach me to play guitar, but I can't. Don't worry. People like us have a different kind of music, Noah Noah. And we have to write essays all the time. Teacher wanted us to write what we thought the meaning of life was once. What did you write? Company. Grandpa closes his eyes. That's the best answer I've heard. My teacher said I had to write a longer answer. So what did you do? I wrote company and ice cream. Grandpa spends a moment or two thinking that over. Then he asks, what kind of ice cream? Noah smiles. It's nice to be understood. He and the girl are on a road and they're young again. He remembers each of the very first times he saw her. He hides his pictures as far from the rain as he can. They were 16, and even the snow was happy that morning, falling soap, bubble, light, and landing on cold cheeks as though the flakes were gently trying to wake someone they loved. She stood in front of him with January in her hair, and he was lost. She was the first person in his life that he couldn't work out. Then, he spent every minute of it after that day trying. I always knew who I was with you. You're my shortcut, Grandpa confides. Even though I never had any sense of direction, she laughs. Death isn't fair. No, death is a slow drum. It counts every beat. We can't haggle with it from where time. Beautifully said, my love. I stole it. Their laughter echoes in each other's chest, and then he says, I miss all our most ordinary things. Breakfast on the veranda, weeds in the flower beds. She takes a breath and then answers, I miss the dawn, the way it stamped its feet at the end of the water, increasingly frustrated and impatient until there was no more holding back the sun the way it sparkled right across the lake, reached the stones by the jetty, and came onto land, and its warm hands in our garden, pouring gentle light into our house, letting us kick off the covers and start the day. I miss you then, darling sleepy you. I miss you there. We lived an extraordinary, ordinary life, an ordinarily extraordinary life. She laughs, old eyes, new sunlight, and he still remembers how it felt to fall in love. The rain hasn't arrived yet. They dance on the shortcut until darkness falls. So we're going to probably read this in a few parts so that these episodes aren't, you know, insanely or excessively long. And it'll give you some time to digest what was read and think on things a little bit. And then you can come back next week for you know, the next episode. 
And so thank you for tuning in this week. I hope that you loved it. If you would like more of this kind of content, then please do send me a message, comment, um, record a voice message. There's a link um, for you to be able to record a message to me as well. And I will address your questions, comments, and concerns. Um, If you love to support this channel. I have an ad that runs kind of um, a quarter of the way through my episode, so please feel free to listen to it. It's not very long. Um, That helps. And also share the love, spread the word, and um, your feedback is invaluable uh, to me and the sustainability of this podcast. I hope that it has brought you great comfort and peace and um, and joy and has somehow served your highest good. So I'm signing off for this evening and may your rest be restorative when you finally do get some sleep tonight.